0: Hello and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover and this is episode number 66, Supporting Students with Sensory Processing Disorder. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm Carrie Conover, the founder and CEO of Educators to Educators. We have so much going on at E2E right now. I can't even begin to explain it all, but two quick things I want you to be sure to know is one, Educators to Educators has announced the summer conference dates. That's right for teacher summer reboot. We have announced the dates. They are July 17th and 18th. So make sure you get your calendar out and write down July 17th and 18th teacher summer reboot. That is our free virtual online conference. This is going to be an epic conference. We are going to break all kinds of E2E records. Soon I will be uh, announcing what the theme of the conference is, but just get that on your calendar. Also, I wanted to let you know that we have launched E2E modules. E2E modules are for those of you who aren't quite ready to have a year-long membership with E2E, but you may want to learn about one specific topic. So the first module I want to share with all of you on this podcast is the classroom management module. This module is $29 and it is going to help you up your game if you're struggling with classroom management. If you need a refresh, if you want new ideas about building community and having solid classroom management, go ahead and go check that out at educators2educators.com backslash modules. We have a sponsor for this week's podcast. Everyday Elevate is giving away a $50 gift card to one lucky winner. So I'm going to tell you in a second how to enter to win for that $50 gift card. But first, Everyday Educate's mission and calling is to create everyday educational products that help your little learners grow physically, mentally, and emotionally. They have so many great tools for you as a teacher as you are supporting your students who have sensory processing disorder to enter to win head to educators 2 educators.com backslash 66 and you'll just fill out a form there answer a couple questions about the podcast and that's it you're entered to win Today's guest is Heather Campbell. I'm so excited to get started with her. She is an expert and a parent of someone who also needs support in the area of sensory processing. So let's hand it over to my interview with Heather Campbell. Today's guest is no stranger to all of you E2E listeners. We are welcoming back Heather Campbell. Heather has been on multiple E2E podcast episodes. She has presented at every single Educators to Educators online conference, and she is honestly my biggest personal cheerleader. I call her anytime, you know, I'm thinking through something, and she gives me great advice. She's just an all-around amazing person and a huge advocate of everything we're doing at Educators to Educators. Uh, Heather, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. And I really do just love everything Educators to Educators does for teachers.
0: Well, thank you so much for that energy and spirit you put into everything we're doing here. And this month at the E2E membership site and in the podcast, We are focusing on supporting all students. Now we could focus on this for an entire year, but we're gonna focus on this for one month and I promise we'll come back to this topic again. But I wanted to sit down with Heather to talk about sensory processing disorder and what that looks like for students and parents and teachers. So Heather's gonna start off by telling us what sensory processing disorder is. Then she's gonna give us some teacher and parent tips and tricks and then she's gonna point out some important resources. So before we get started, Heather, if this if we're, the listeners are hearing your voice for the first time, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and your experience?
1: Yes, I am currently an instructional coach in Southern Utah and I focus specifically on fourth grade teachers. So it's kind of fun to have something that's so specific. I've been teaching for 13 years I have four kiddos. I have twin boys that are 11 and then two girls that are younger than they are. So life is kind of busy.
0: Very busy, but you handle it really well. You are like the most cool, calm, collected mom and educator I probably know.
1: Thank you. I kind of have learned there are some things that you just can't let bother you. You have to focus on those things that are most important and let everything
0: else go. I agree. Good parenting and teaching advice there. Yeah. So Heather, um why is the topic of sensory processing disorder really important to you and why have you done so much research that you are able to come on here and teach all of us today?
1: So, I really could talk about sensory processing disorder for hours and I like to talk about it for sure. When one of my sons was really little, we knew that there was just something that wasn't quite right. There were connections not being made. And so we tried figuring it out for years. And finally, we went to a specialist. And I think when he was five years old, that's when he was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. So six years later, I have become his biggest advocate and have really have done every bit of research. I find books. I am looking at blogs all the time to try to figure out what I can do to help him at home as well as in the school setting. So I just make sure even with his teachers that I prep them on what it is before so that everybody can be more successful. I love that.
0: And do you think that um, you knew much about sensory processing disorder before, you know, this something that came into your life, into your own home?
1: No, I had never heard of it before that. And I find that even when I talk to some of the SPED teachers, they'll say, you know, i would never heard of this before, but now that I know more about it, I can identify students who I probably could have been helping the same exact ways. So I think it's becoming something that's talked about more, but I also think it's one of those things that people just don't know very much about.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And even myself, I've learned a lot through talking to you and learning from you. So I really am excited to have you teach us today. So tell us what is sensory processing disorder?
1: So in a nutshell, sensory processing disorder, and sometimes I will call it SPD, Okay. Um, it's a neurological condition where the child's body and brain will misread signals that they're receiving. So they will either overreact or underreact to some of their surroundings because they just take on the world differently through their senses. Wow.
0: And is, is that... I mean, I'm trying to imagine what that must be like for a child, especially if it's unidentified. Um, so what does that experience feel like for a child?
1: So with sensory processing disorder, there are seven different categories that a child can be. So there's touch, taste, smell, sound, vision, proprioceptors, which really is like how they are in the world, um, like their body compared to the space that they're in. So for us, like we're sitting in a room and we could see I'm this far away from the wall. But sometimes they don't understand that. Or like if you bump into somebody, you are aware of how hard you bumped into that person. And with them, it's not necessarily that way. So sometimes they come across as very aggressive because their senses in that are not the same as ours. And then vestibular is just like a lot of the moving, um, the swinging, the twirling, the spinning. So those are the main senses Hmm. that it could affect. So students or any kids are either over-responsive. So you have to think of it like each of their senses has this little cup and there's water that's coming into their cup. So for us, our cup is always exactly where it needs to be at the top because we're getting exactly what we need. So if this child is over-responsive, they have this tiny cup, and the water is just coming in the cup and overflowing because there's too much input for them. So in any of the categories, there's just too much of it.
0: Mm.
1: Or they're under-responsive, so then that's like them having this huge cup but the senses are just slowly coming in and they need more. So then they start to seek some of these senses in order to reach their needs. And so you could have, they could be over-responsive in one area, but under-responsive in another area. So just because they're over-responsive doesn't mean it's over-responsive in every single
0: category. Okay, so let me stop you there. So a student could have, you said there's seven categories they could... Is it proprioceptors? Is that how you said that? Proprioceptors. Proprioceptors. Okay. So they, if they have issues with space and understanding space, and they may have some issues with taste, Uh but they may not have any sensitivities to touch. Is that what you're saying? Like you could have some of the seven categories, but the others cause no problems for you.
1: Absolutely. So like my son specifically he is under-responsive in proprioceptors and vestibular. So that's all of the movement. (laughs) So he needs more input. And so that's also something that we don't hear a lot about because we hear where like the lights are too bright or it's too loud. So they're over-responsive. That's too much input. But the under-responsive you have to figure out how to give more input to that child which is interesting so different
0: because i think as teachers we manage so much in our classroom Mm -hmm. and maybe it's that we see the over and not the under is that like we see a lot of the visual cues like let's say a student was i had a um student who is really sensitive to touch like it was very obvious to me when they were overstimulated. Yes. But what you're saying, like, for your son, like, he needs more of the physical,
1: like, cues? Yes, absolutely. And so if they aren't having their needs met, of course they're going to do what they can in order to get them met. So that's where we start to have behavior issues. Mm-hmm. Um Because with sensory processing disorder, you really will have behavior issues. There's learning difficulties that come along with it, social awkwardness, and different developmental delays. So, interesting. It's very common. A lot of the times, you will have, but not always, you'll have sensory processing tied into students on the autism spectrum also. Okay. So it's not always, but it's very common to have students on the autism spectrum that also have sensory processing disorder. Is
0: sensory processing disorder something that is also on a spectrum?
1: Um, I mean, I guess you could say it's on the spectrum where it could be like two of the senses or all seven of the senses. Okay. Okay.
0: So if someone has all seven, they're probably going to have a little bit more difficulty than someone who maybe has something to touch.
1: Um, Probably, yeah, because then they're having to, I mean, neurologically, it's just more things that they're having to juggle. Or if they know that their body isn't feeling right, they would have to go through and figure out, well, is it the touch that's bothered? that's bothering me? Is it vestibular that's bothering me? Is it my proprioceptor that's bothering me? So then they have to figure out how to help make their body feel quote unquote normal, but not knowing which one is affecting it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Thank you. Um, I think I've always thought of sensory as, you know, I've been out of the classroom now a good six years, but I feel like all the sensory things that I was exposed to in the classroom with students, a lot of it was touch. Yeah. Or, or some auditory too. Yeah. Um, and I
1: think that those are, I think it's because those are easy to see. Yeah. You know, cause you'll, you'll see the student like covering their ears if you know that it's too much noise or you'll kind of see them flinch a little bit if they don't like the touch. So like for my son, Touch is very important to him. It kind of, and this goes along with like the proprioceptors, it makes him feel grounded. And so like standing behind him, this is one of the strategies that his teacher uses. He'll just kind of stand behind him and push down on his shoulders because he needs the pressure. Mm. That's the senses that is going to help kick him back in. So sometimes the little bit of pressure on his shoulders will just help. When he was littler, we had to, like, bear hug him really tight. Yeah. And that would calm him down. But for other kids, that might send them the opposite direction and um, kind of make them freak out. But for him, because he was under-responsive in that area, he needs more of that touch.
0: Which is why it's just so is so so important that we are communicating as teachers and parents with one another. Um, I think, and that's to your next point. You're going to give some teacher parent tips and tricks, but I think that's why it is so important. And I know you, Heather, every year at the beginning of the year sit down with the students, your son's teachers, and say, "Hey, here are the tips and tricks." And imagine if you didn't do that, Heather, which there are a lot of kids who are undiagnosed, but also kids who maybe are, and their parents aren't communicating, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on teachers to figure it out themselves.
1: Yeah. And there's like, we know some of this stuff really is like clockwork. We know that the week before Halloween and sometimes the week after is too much, um, that a lot of times ties into Red Ribbon Week. And so even the change of structure with the different dress-up days, because it's like crazy hair day, crazy sock day, and then dressing up for Halloween, um, that throws them off. So we know, I learned very early on, that Halloween is going to send him spiraling. And so like a couple weeks before, it really is just like, prepping the teacher of okay this is what you're gonna see he doesn't like this um so if he starts to act this way you'll start to see lots more behavior issues but i promise like we'll get over it but sometimes it's like you have to prep them for it so okay today at school this is what's going to happen because it's off routine so similar to like with autism they like their set schedule and they like their set routine. So any times you can let them know that something's going to be different or they're going to have their classroom decorated or something like these classroom transformations. And I would do classroom transformations in my room, but it, they do not like it at all because it's so different for them and it's too much too much for the senses. So you just kind of have to be aware of some of that and prep them for it. So as a yeah. parent, I do have to, at the beginning of the year, I sit down and I think we'll talk a little bit about this later, but I send them a video, the teacher, so that they can see exactly what this is. And we'll link the video so that you yeah, can put that in the show notes. also. But yeah, but the little things like me making sure that the teacher knows if you start to see these actions, like just stand behind him and put some pressure on him, that will help him.
0: Well, and I think back to um, I had a, a student who had OCD, very severe OCD, and other things going on, undiagnosed that were eventually diagnosed when he the year he was in my room. Um, and back to that parent communication, like. I was grading papers one day and I was grading in like a hot pink pen. Cause I love to use my students loved that. I taught third, fourth and fifth. They always loved when I used all fun, different pens. And like the mom came in and was like, you cannot use hot pink pen on his paper. He hot pink is like a trigger for him. Um, and at times it was hard as a teacher because in like that instance, it's like, I felt like she made me feel bad, mm-hmm. kind of like blamed me cause it triggered him. And I'm like, okay. Sometimes I felt like, oh my gosh, I I can't win. Like, I feel like I'm being blamed. I do these things that I don't even know I'm doing. And I think about it from a teacher's perspective. perspective, And the parent of that student, they they were very overwhelmed, right? So they're not thinking about how I'm feeling, but just the communication. Like I thought to myself, well, if I would have known that, I would have never done that. But Absolutely. that goes back to that communication is over. Don't feel bad. If the Halloween party is coming, popping an email with the teacher and saying, Hey, Mrs. Conover, thank you so much. I know you are so supportive of, you know, Johnny. Um, you always are. I appreciate everything you do. Just a reminder. He has a really hard time with pumpkins or whatever it is, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, here's some tics, tips and tricks. If, if, You know, he does have a problem. Put your hands on his shoulders. Um, So I think if you're, I do have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast that don't be afraid to over communicate, but at the same time, be supportive and say thank you. Like, I know this is an extra effort. Absolutely. And that's
1: one thing I try my hardest because I am a teacher, but I'm in complete parent mode when it comes to this. And so, I make sure that they know I do appreciate this so much because I know it's extra effort to you. And I know this is different from everybody else in your class. And so really the more communication the better because if I can let the teacher know if it's going to set them off, it's the teacher in the end that really will benefit instead of trying to figure out why are they doing this or why are they not doing their work anymore? Because that's something my son will do is he just shuts down. So there's no more work at all. And even this this year, we had this at parent-teacher conference. Um, and he was just like, okay, it's been two weeks. You know, I haven't, I know that it's a crazy time of year, but I really haven't gotten any work from him in two weeks. And so the other thing too of communicating with the teacher is you have to sit down with your child because the goal is that they will be able to Um, we say self-soothe, right? So they need to be able to identify that this is how I'm feeling. What can I do to get out of this? Or what can I do to communicate that I need out of this environment for a couple minutes in order to compose myself where I can learn? So we really just have to have conversations with, with my son too and say, okay, your teacher says you haven't been doing work. What is it that you need? And he'll, he'll tell us what it is. I need to go sit at the back table or I need to do this. So the communication needs to happen with the teacher, but I also feel strongly about communicating with the child because I will not be there every time he's having a sensory um, overload or he needs more input. So we have to teach the kid how to deal with it so that when they get in the situation, they can help themselves.
0: Absolutely. Because I, I mean, I think almost every teacher of a child, they know that they have sensory processing disorder and a child comes up and says, I need X, Y, and Z to get back to my work. <laughs> every teacher is going to do that, you know, because yeah. ultimately we want them to get back to... To you know, learning. Yeah, um, sometimes that's
1: what it is. Is I mean, he has the timer, so the teacher will literally. I think it's like a little five minute timer, and he'll be like, "Take this timer, go do what you need, and then I'll see you back here in five minutes." And sure enough, like we've learned that that's what happens: is he'll go and grab the timer, flip it over. He knows that if it's walking, and he needs to walk to the sped room, or we have a severe room where they have a swing and they have a little ball pit. So because of the proprioceptor and the vestibular, the ball pit and having all the weight of the balls on top of him was the input that he needed. But he knew when the five minutes was up, he needed to get out and go back to class.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Now, Heather, I know that, um, You have a lot of really great resources. I know you and I have talked about different things like the ball pit or weighted blankets or different things. Um, What are some of your favorite resources? We're going to link to the video that you talked about. What are some of your other favorite resources out there?
1: So there's a Facebook group and it's called the Sensory Spectrum. And it is so helpful to me as a parent. And the same thing, like there are parents that are in there and there are teachers that are in there but they're constantly giving articles um, or videos or parents will say like, I need help with this, or I've started seeing this, what can I do? So that has been really helpful for me because sometimes, because sensory processing disorder is not talked about, you feel really alone and you feel like no one else is going through this and like you're having to figure everything out by yourself. So it's just a community of people who know what you're talking about, who can give you suggestions. And so that is extremely helpful. And I think for a
0: teacher, you can feel alone as well, right? I mean, when I was talking about that one student I had, I mean, I was having a lot of behaviors that were actually risky to other students in my class. And this was there were just so many complex things going on. And I didn't feel like anyone in my building could help me. Yeah. I felt like the staff had never been trained and and everyone was just kind of like figure it out yourself. <laughs> and so Absolutely. I think that's true with um what you're talking about here even as a teacher you could join that group and and learn more.
1: Yep. And so when I was on that it led me to a different website called Everyday Educate and they really do help with um the resources, we'll talk a little bit about sensory diets, but that's where I got the weighted blanket. They have the little rubber bands that you can put on chairs because sometimes the kid just needs to push against the rubber bands with their feet. So they have lots of resources that you could use in the classroom. And I have some of those at my house. Um, For example, like on our dining room table, we have three chairs that have those rubber bands on the two front legs because sometimes we'll need that at dinner.
0: That is so cool. So talk about sensory diet. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so the very first time I'd heard sensory diet, I was like, you know, it's not going to work for my kid because taste isn't really his thing, so we don't have to work in that area. <laughs> so I was like, it's, it's not a food thing I need because, of course, with diet. But yep. a sensory diet, really, they're just activities that help your child process sensory input. There are different areas that a child might need. So there's different calming activities that you'll find on a sensory diet. So this might be the deep pressure. It might be the weighted blanket on them because we tried that for a while in the classroom. It might be a yoga ball because they need to put their focus on something else in order to help them concentrate. So sometimes it is the sitting on a yoga ball, deep breathing, um, playing with Legos, doing art. So these are some of the things where if he needed to calm down, these were different things on his um, sensory diet. But for him, because he is under-responsive in a lot, we need to get him up and moving. So then there are alerting activities. So this would be jumping and swinging, dancing, running. He does lots of wall push-ups. Hmm. A lot of times there's like the heavy lifting or heavy moving. So you could send them down to go help the custodian, like push around the big um, trash cans in the lunchroom because Hmm. that moving to them is going to give them the input that they need or filling up a box of books. I talked about this in another um, ETE video, but if you're a teacher and you need, them to go do something you could always just have a box of books and send them to I need you to go walk down to the principal's office and then the principal just knows when they come with this box of books maybe have them write a note and put it back on the box of books and have them walk back to class with that box because it's like that heavy lifting that they need to alert their senses wow so all of these things are on the sensory diet so depending on your student's I mean, we started where he had to do an activity, like, every 30 minutes because we found if it was 45
0: minutes, he, he'd already checked out. Now, so he, I know you don't know as much about this in the, like, touch and taste category, but if you – how would that relate to someone who has, like, sensitivities in the touch and taste area?
1: So, like, as far as touch sometimes, because my son – gets a lot of his input through his fingers and his toes. So I guess in that way, it is touch. Okay. But in first grade, he had a teacher where because he needed more, she found like this little patch of like the artificial grass, that turf. And she seriously just cut a square and put it on his desk and he would run his fingers through it. Interesting. And that was really all he needed.
0: That is so fascinating. I love that his teacher found that for him.
1: Yeah, and so she really did do that herself. If it's like a vision thing, Everyday Educate has the blue, like a little blue screen that you can put over the fluorescent lights because a lot of times the fluorescent lights will set it off. So if you can calm those down with a blue color, it helps their, it helps the vision part.
0: Hmm. Now, what about taste and how did, could that? out in a classroom or in a school environment?
1: I know taste I think is tricky and that is one sometimes taste ends up being more of like a texture thing because it really is the oral sensation right and so a lot of times you'll find that they want to be chewing on something because that's where they get their sensation from. So sometimes it's not necessarily a tasting. It really turns more to like, it's an oral fixation.
0: Mm. So So
1: little necklaces they can chew on. You'll see these kids chew on their shirts. Yes. Yes. Because that's where they're going to get the sensation. Sometimes they'll drool or they'll stuff Like lots of food in their cheeks when they eat because that's just kind of what they need to have. So sometimes it is like different foods they don't like, but that ends up being more of a texture thing, but it's
0: more of just, they need oral input. So like the kid that chews their pin cap to that, like until it's like flat and broken.
1: Absolutely.
0: Interesting.
1: Because really all they're doing is they're trying to meet their needs. So if they have that oral... That's what they have to do in order to focus. And that's what they have to do in order to be able to think past, my body is telling me that I need something else. So that's really just their way of responding to stuff. A lot of times they won't know that they're doing it.
0: It just always makes me think about how far we've come as teachers and in education as parents that we're actually talking about these things. And I would love to like kind of wrap up in this way in that I think about all the adults out there that have struggled with sensory processing disorder their entire life and it's been undiagnosed and how hard that must be to grow up with with that and not having anyone ever acknowledge it or and see it you know, Absolutely. and I'm sure that it plays out in many, many different ways in adults, some ways positively, in some ways in destructive ways. I mean, I think you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, the connection between addiction and, and SPD and yeah. um, those possibilities that, you know, trying to figure out a way to soothe. Um, so I don't know. I just guess I want to say I'm proud of us. I think there's a lot of things that people say, um, we're evolving in the wrong direction, direction, but in this direction, I think we're finally starting to talk about this stuff.
1: I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think a lot of this you will realize ties into that social and emotional learning.
0: Yeah. I think that it's, it's so awesome too, because I think the kids that don't struggle with this, I feel like our kids are becoming more, accepting of kids being different than them. Whereas when we were growing up, they were just labeled as being weird or outcasts or, you know, and I feel like we're growing a lot in that direction too. And that kids are are more accepting of of a kid who does need to sit on a yoga ball or carry a box of books to the principal's office.
1: Absolutely. And that's probably one other thing. I, if I could leave anything, it would be that it does need to be talked about. It shouldn't be something that the other students in your class, they can see that this is happening. So I think that they will become more accepting and more understanding of it as soon as they know why that student needs what they do. Because as teachers, they're like, well, if one kid is sitting on a yoga ball, they'll be like, that's not fair. But I would always, I mean, I would show my students the video that we will link and we just talk about fair isn't everybody getting the same thing. Fair is everybody getting what they need in order to be
0: successful. Yeah. And
1: so in order for this child to be successful, this is what they need. And their brain just thinks a little bit different. And as soon as you talk about those things, there's no longer the why does this person get this because they, they know when they start to understand. So I do think it needs to be talked about, and it shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of or embarrassed about.
0: Absolutely not. I agree. Well, Heather, I've learned a ton in this conversation, and this is the whole reason I started E2E podcast, is I wanted it to be almost like people are dropping in on a conversation between two educators Hence the name educators to educators. (laughs) Um, So I really appreciate you coming back on. I've learned a ton. I'm sure you will get messaged with questions and people wanting to know more about what you've learned and probably get some support from you. So how can everyone find you? So I
1: am on Instagram at Serious Giggles, and I will post things on there also about sensory processing. So that probably is the easiest place to find me. Perfect.
0: And also, Heather, if you are an E2E member, Heather has quite a few presentations that are all fabulous. Off the top of my head, I can think of Beating the Teacher Blues, which is a really great one, Heather. Um, You, in the most recent New Year Reboot, you did a really fun one that you kind of stepped out of your um, normal, more serious topics, and you did one on hand lettering, which is super fun. Um, yep. That's my,
1: that's my wellness. That's how, that's my teacher self-care is the hand lettering.
0: Yeah. So So you have a ton of great topics. I'm so glad that we have you as a presenter. I know I value you. So everyone, please reach out to Heather if you have any questions and Heather until next time you're on the podcast. That's it for all of us over here at Educators to Educators. Make sure you head to educators2educators.com backslash 66 to enter to win that $50 gift card. I hope you all have an amazing week. And until next time, keep on teaching on.